Yes, it is. Hello and welcome to Marathon Time Breakthrough once again. I'm joined as usual by Dr. Dave Bird. Dave, how are you today? I'm very well, thank you, Mark. Super job, super job. Now, one thing I notice from a lot of the things that I do, whether it's in weight loss and fitness or it's training or whatever it happens to be, mm. you're training and training and training and training or, you know, dieting, whatever it happens to be, but then you reach a point where it's almost like you plateau. Yeah. So how do you deal with plateaus mm. when you're training for a marathon? Mm. Great, great question. Well, the first thing is you wouldn't reach a plateau if you hadn't improved from the foothills. So Okay, yeah, that makes sense. So yeah. congratulate yourself because a lot of things are psychological here mm. and you've, you've got to remember where you've come from yeah. to start off with. But that said... We always want to move on and improve. And mm. why would I call it marathon time breakthrough if, if people were satisfied with the first this time, is time they did? If you always rely on the same patterns of behaviour and expect different results, that's the definition of insanity. Yeah, so yeah. what you need to do is freshen things up. And whatever you were doing, you acknowledge and you kind of reward the fact that it got you where it got you. Mm-hmm. That you realise that you need to freshen things up a bit and break the cycle of training that's not right. working. Yeah, that makes sense, yeah. More specifically, what I would say then is to keep the plateau analogy going, you need to break that plateau up into peaks and troughs because that is where you actually make the gains. Mm. Um, again, we come back to this idea where people um, mistakenly believe that improvements are kind of so rigidly linear going Mm. up and biological systems and Mm. runners of biological systems don't work like that. The the best um, ways that things improve are always in peaks and troughs and, and cycles. And what that involves, and this is the psychological challenge for people, is they have to accept poorer performance Mm -hmm. to then rise up and get better performance and that is when it what it comes down to is the basis of all training adaptation because when you train Mm -hmm. you actually cause your performance to temporarily suffer Mm -hmm. so the body doesn't want to be embarrassed by that performance and it has to improve Mm -hmm. so that it performs better the next time out okay and i know when i'm sort of counseling people on the dietary side and they, they reach, a, 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 say, a plateau in their weight loss. Yeah. You know, one of the things we do is do a complete change of what they're eating. Yeah. And I'm guessing that it's a very similar process as far as performance goes as well. A complete change. Not so much a complete change. Because it's marathon running, we can't get away from the general principles of endurance is king and consistency is key because of the specificity of marathon running the peaks and troughs are more about spicing things up in terms of introducing some harder sessions Mm -hmm. be it faster repeat kind of intervals or these faster longer tempo type runs Mm. and then accepting the greater need for recovery to respond to that increase in training intensity or, or duration because another factor of course is is slowly incrementing the long runs that you do we're kind of tweaking up the level of challenge mm. that, that the runner is asked to do to re- reach that new performance level mm. but accepting um, that that is going to entail 
almost kind of paradoxically more recovery mm. than there would have been before. Okay, so how, how does a runner know what to work on specifically then? Firstly, as we've said in previous episodes, identify what their strengths and weaknesses are and mm. then marry them up to what is um, required by a marathon um, campaign. Mm. So if, for example, they were struggling with running faster for longer, they would basically look at that and they would decide that they would try and increase by maybe five minutes a week that faster, longer run. They would Mm. take it from, say, 20 minutes to start off with up to 25 and then 30 Mm. until they saw a measurable improvement. It's all about working specifically on on known weaknesses. So that that is a kind of physiological example I've just picked out with that Mm. faster, longer run. Um, But there's also physical ones, looking for a physical therapist to maybe Mm. identify any weaknesses in core areas Mm -hmm. and then be prescribed some core exercises that might help get that core strength stronger Mm. so that you've got a platform to actually do this more intense training without breaking down. You might be held back in your core area by the threat of injury. Mm. So in essence, what you're saying is if you reach a plateau, there's a reason for it. Yeah, and it's finding it. We've identified there the physiological example and the physical example, but there's also a psychological example. You might deliberately cut the longer runs short, not because you're physiologically under stress, um, not because you're physically breaking down, but because you're just bored and you'd rather get back and do something else. And you might mistakenly, because I think it's a mistake for marathon training, mm-hmm. think that you can get by with just steady runs and some of these faster runs. Yeah. That's another weakness to pinpoint. That could be another plateau. And that one is a, is quite a subtle one because it, you know, it might be a self-denial one. Mm. You, you might be saying, well, you know, what's the point of running another half an hour? I've already done an hour and a half. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry, but for marathon running, we do have to do that extra half an hour eventually because that's what you need to do because 26.2 miles is a long way, is a long way mm. even, for, even for an elite. You know, yeah. the, the world record is like you know, around two hours. So you've spoken about having variety, yeah. uh, time and that sort of thing, yeah. terrain and what have you. What about distance? Yeah, distance is is a factor, and I know we've spoken a lot about having training sessions that cover different distances, um, and you bring in the different paces. So you've got the long, slower runs, and then you've got the faster, longer runs, and you've got the faster repeat type sessions that mm. are different distances but but different intensities. Mm. But what I would encourage people to do to um, break any kind of performance issues is to actually experiment with different race distances Mm -hmm. when they do practice races Mm -hmm. because this this can often be the solution. They will be so locked in to the idea that they're training for a marathon Mm. that they may neglect um, to do anything other than maybe a half marathon at most Mm. and often even longer, like 20 mile runs as as their kind of practice races. And I really encourage, particularly earlier on in what I call the steps phase, when people are transitioning to marathon-specific training, get in a 5K, a 10K, Mm. and get your body um, attuned to these kind of faster paces under race conditions. And this gets back to the idea of freshening things up. Mm. It might give you that kind of extra spark that breaks down that performance block. 
Yeah, and I suppose if you're doing a different distance at a different pace that you would normally do that distance, you're going to pick up different things. Your body's going to start telling you different things about how it feels. Absolutely. I've come at marathon running from a middle distance perspective. And I remember even when I moved up to half marathons, and certainly for the marathon, because Mm. I came from a middle distance perspective where I was used to running short, fast races... Mm. The great benefit of that was the pace for marathon running and half marathons. It seemed really pedestrian to me. Mm. Obviously, I had to cope with the endurance, mm. but that was a real benefit. And you will find if you have a healthy sprinkling of these shorter races, which, by the way, take a shorter time to recover from. So yeah. that's a real benefit that you will start finding the actual paces of, of, of marathon training much more comfortable to accomplish. Mm. Now, how about some sort of more advanced advice for people who really should know what they're doing? Okay, this this one is a handle with care, health warning. Don't try this at home if, if, <laughs> if, if, if you're not prepared for the uh, for possible adverse consequences. But with some of my more advanced clients, I um, get them to do what I call fasting long runs and what I mean by that is I encourage them to not consume carbs on their longer runs during the actual run and they, they progress this kind of adaptation where they'll, they'll even fast by like going out before breakfast mm. or, or anyway before a substantial meal yeah. and what that does is it unlocks a different kind of performance mechanism because mm. it allows your body to be even more adept Mm. at using fats for fuel and why is that beneficial for marathon training and running it means because fats are an abundant fuel source that you've got a ready-made supply that if you're good at metabolizing it is is almost like what i'd call free fuel compared Mm. with the very limited carb stocks that you've got in your liver and your muscles and which you inevitably have to supplement mm. with, with with additional fuel sources. I use a food shopping metaphor to help my clients understand this. Imagine your fat stores as a huge wholesaler, plentiful and cheap in supplies, but it's out of town, so it's not so easy to make use of just when you want them. Your carb stores are your local convenience shop, readily available but more expensive and even more costly when supplies are very limited. Being fat adapted then is a way of coping with those limited local carb supplies and it's a bit like arranging to have that wholesaler deliver the fats right to your door. Okay, so you've given a a lot of advice there, even some don't try it at home advice. (laughs) What type of performance gains can people expect by doing that to break through those plateaus? It's sometimes unrealistic for people to expect massive gains anyway mm. from from endurance based uh, training so if you're a well trained um, distance runner mm. particularly if you're experienced at these marathons you can only really expect and when i say only this could this can mean the difference between a glory run and a, a mediocre run but mm. you can only really expect 1 to 3% improvements mm. through through a campaign but that said This is where I keep banging on about the value of not only setting a really well-designed marathon schedule, but then being very watchful and ready to modify it according to how you perform. Mm. If you're vigilant and you do that really well, 
then inevitably those percentages go up and right. you, you get a better return on your training investment. But that said, if you're a beginner, you're, you're basically in the foothills as a beginner. And so you can expect a far more higher percentage gain mm. in, in fitness for your efforts before you reach the inevitable plateau. Yeah, excellent. So there you go. A lot of information from Dave. Now, Dave, before we finish, I just want to take you back to the, the advanced stuff. Um, sure. Is there any last thing that you want to bring out for people who might be wanting to try that just so they do it safely? Yeah, the fasting long run isn't for everybody. And so because of that, because I want you to do that successfully and safely, in the show notes, you'll find a link and there's a clip from the Marathon Time Breakthrough course that I run that takes you specifically through guidelines that go into a little bit more detail about that in, important advanced session super well thanks again for all the info that you've passed on today and i'm looking forward to the next one thank you very much mark Mm -hmm.